This is Crossroads with Clayton King. I don't know what you struggle with as far as self-esteem goes, but oftentimes I find myself wondering, how in the world can God use me? What do I have to offer God? I've made so many mistakes. I've committed so many sins. I've messed up so many times. If you've ever felt unqualified to be used by God because of your weaknesses, the good news in this message is that your weakness actually is the way that God works through you for His glory. So get a pen, a piece of paper, get out your notebook or your iPad, and take notes because this message is gonna be very helpful for all of us right now. It's so great to be back, and uh, this week we've been talking about what it means to see God's strength made perfect in our weakness, and how that doesn't make any sense on the surface. It's counterintuitive to everything that we are taught as Americans. It doesn't make any sense to, to the mind superficially, but there is this sense in the scripture that God takes great glory in using the most least likely people to do the greatest things. And I've said this before, if you feel unqualified, that actually qualifies you. If you feel like you're a loser, I got two pieces of good news for you. Number one, you're right. And number two, Jesus uses losers. He takes losers and he turns them into daughters and sons of the Most High God. And he works in spite of and sometimes even because of our weakness. And there's hope in the gospel that our God is never ever impeded in his ability to get things done through weak vessels like us. And I've spent about the last year of my life writing a book telling my story about the most difficult season I've ever gone through. At 42 years of age, I'm an orphan again. And I wanted to tell this story in this book called Stronger because I wanted my story to matter for other people. And I wanted my story to be told so that some of you could actually find encouragement through my story. So today I wanna to really talk about how your scars tell your story. Your scars actually tell a story. I, uh, I have some scars on my body that I, I won't tell you about all of them, but I've got a couple that have cool stories behind them. I've got some scars. I've got a small scar on the back of my right hand. I dropped a piece of metal working for my dad and cut my hand open. I've got another small scar on the back of my left hand where I accidentally busted a light. I've got some scars on my arms. Now these scars have a really interesting story. I was in a hurry one Saturday afternoon. My child was really small and we had a pile of brush in the backyard that um, I had cut down. I've been piling it up and my boy was out in the yard crawling around, playing around and my wife says, there are snakes in that pile of, of, of trash. I want you to burn it. My wife has spiritual discernment. She's a prophet. She sees snakes when they're not even there. She's the snake whisperer. And I said, okay. So I was in a hurry. I had somewhere to go. I made a critical error. I poured gasoline in your clapping. I poured gasoline on the pile of brush. I was not thinking to myself, because it was a hot and humid day, that the fumes from the gasoline would not evaporate as quickly, they would linger around the pile of brush. I waited 30 minutes thinking that gives plenty of time for the gas to evaporate, for the fumes to dissipate, and we all know from science class that gas doesn't burn, gas explodes. 
30 minutes later, I walk out, I strike a match. I had enough common sense to back up a few feet. I threw the match at the pile of brush, and as the match crested its arch, before it even touched the ground, it began to ignite the fumes of that gasoline. And it looked like it was happening in slow motion. I intuitively went to block the flames with my left arm, and what it did, in effect, is it burned all the flesh from the tips of my fingers up to my shoulder off my arm. I had first and second degree burns, and I had one spot on the back of my hand, one spot on my elbow, and one spot near my shoulder where I had third degree burns. The interesting thing about those scars is that I can tell a story that everybody is interested in, at least for about one and a half minutes. But when I meet other people as I travel and preach, I am now aware of people who have scars from burns. I notice people with burn scars because I have suffered through something similar to what they suffered through. And now I can engage people with a scar and I can say to them, were you burned? Tell me your story, I was burned too. It's amazing how we connect with scars that connect with our pain. Galatians 6, 17 is the verse I wanna kick off at least our time together for a few minutes today with. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it is so full of meaning. At the end of Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, here's what Paul writes to that church. Paul says in Galatians 6, 17, let no one cause me trouble, pause, Paul understood trouble. Paul did not live a life filled with blessing and favor and increase the way that we would think of it in American terms. Paul had lived a life of persecution and difficulty and suffering, and at the end of his career as a minister, at the end of his life, he writes to the church in Galatia after he has just expounded to them theology and practical application. He says to them in Galatians 6, 17, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Christ. What's he referring to? What's he talking about when he says, I bear on my body the marks of Christ? Let me read something to you that a Liberty student sent me yesterday. She gave me permission to read this to you. She was uh, attending Monday night when I kicked off this whole idea of stronger and how God's strength is made perfect through our weakness. And I shared my story, at least a portion of it, of how I lost my mom. My mom dropped dead of a heart attack on Sunday, I believe it was November 20th, 2010. Three days later, I preached my mom's funeral. Two days later was Thanksgiving. Two days after that was my birthday. Three days after that was my mom's birthday. Two days after that was my brother's birthday. And three weeks after that was Christmas. And all of that happened within a month span of time. And I began to become acquainted with pain in a way I had never known before. And I started asking God questions. It really started to kind of make me not challenge my faith in God, but to challenge what I believed about the goodness of God and that God could be good even in the midst of my bad times. And a student named Nicole sent me this message and she said, I met you briefly tonight after you spoke at LU's spiritual emphasis service and I wanted to share with you a bit more of my testimony. My world also flipped upside down when I was a senior in high school because that was the year that both of my parents died in a car accident. 
My dad was a pastor. My mom was a stay-at-home mother and a substitute in our school district. Both of them loved the Lord and they loved each other and they helped lead me and my three siblings to do the same. When they died, I asked some hard questions about God's goodness and how that could possibly fit into a situation like mine. But God remained faithful like he always does. During the time since then, now realize, she lost her mom and her dad her senior year in high school. That's not a good thing. I'm gonna tell you, there is no way you can spin that to say it's good for an 18-year-old student to lose their mom and dad. But I'm not talking about whether or not the things in your life are good. I'm talking about whether or not God is good. God can take a bad thing and achieve a good purpose. And that's exactly what Nicole testifies when she says, during the time since I lost my parents, God has reminded me over and over again that he knows what he's doing and he promises to walk with us through our trials. Your words tonight brought another step of healing just as they did during Spiritual Emphasis Week, my freshman year. And then she says, I've always known that God was good, that I am loved and that I belong, but I knew them as facts in my head. I chose to believe them because it got me through each day. Until recently, that's all they were, facts. But the other night, my heart grasped them as truth for the first time. Being a preacher's kid, I know a little bit about sacrifice. And I want you to know that God is working on me in a deep way to show me he is stronger. This is real. This is true. Let me show you something else that's real. And something else is true, because when Paul says in Galatians 6.17, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Christ, he's referring to real, true, physical scars. I want to read off from Paul. His list of accomplishments, his list of accolades, whereas we like to boast in our faithfulness, Paul learned to boast in his frustration. Where we like to sort of worship our own successes, Paul had learned to worship Christ through his weakness. Listen to Paul as he tells the church in the ancient Greek city of Corinth all that he had suffered for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to read it to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23b. Here's what Paul says in regards to the scars that told his story of God's redemption. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I'll come back to that. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. Now, he is about to mention eight specific situations that were dangerous. Eight in the Bible is symbolic. Numbers do mean things in scripture. Eight was always a number of new beginnings, of fresh starts. And I don't know if Paul meant to number these by, by giving them in sequence to, to number eight. But for me, I believe when Paul mentions these eight dangerous scenarios that he had lived through, it gives me new perspective. It gives me fresh faith. And I want to just read these off to you. I have been constantly on the move and in danger. Here we go. In danger from rivers, 
in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. He hasn't forgotten all the things that hurt him. And that's a tendency that we have. As humans, our tendency is to think about the things that hurt us and wound us and scar us, and we want to take the easy way out. We want God to deliver us. We want God to remove that thing. We would rather escape the pain than embrace the pain. But Paul has not forgotten the things that hurt him. We want to get over it. And people have asked me even this week, Clayton, how did you get over losing nine family members in 12 years? How did you get over preaching your mom's funeral? How did you get over knowing that you were an orphan at age 39 and I want to tell you I didn't I didn't get over it I'm not over it now I will never get over the painful things that took place in my life I have a better plan it's a biblical plan I don't want to get over the things that have scarred me I want to get through the things that have scarred me I will never get over losing my family but I'll get through it I will never ever completely heal from losing the people that adopted me when my 15-year-old mother gave me up for adoption and chose to have me adopted instead of aborted, praise God. I'll never get over my mom and dad losing their lives and me watching them suffer until their dying moments. But I will get through it and I will help you get through your hard time by telling you my story. And here's why. Because our scars tell our story. Every scar has a story to tell. Every scar reminds you that the pain was real. Every scar grounds us back to reality where we are not strong, but we need someone stronger than us to sustain us. Every scar screams to be told. Tell the story. But Paul's not done. He mentions a few more scars that he bore. He says in verse 27, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And I love what he says in verse 29. This has been water to my soul. He says, who is weak? And I don't feel weak. In other words, don't put me on a pedestal. Don't worship me. Don't model your life after everything I've done. I'm weak. You're weak? Me too. You've been depressed? Me too. You wanted to quit and give up? Me too. You've thought about walking away from the faith? Me too. You've doubted God? Me too. You've questioned his goodness? Me too. You've gone weeks without reading your Bible? Me too. You have fallen into temptation again? Me too. You have wanted to lash out and hurt people who have hurt you? Me too. You want to retaliate at those who have said ugly things about you. Me too. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? I love the fact that Paul is so transparent and so vulnerable to say, I am as weak as any of you. I'm the chief of sinners. But he says in verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I'll be back in a minute to finish up this message, but before I do, could I ask you to do something? Would you pray about helping us as a ministry financially? We're a donor-based ministry, and as a nonprofit, we depend on supporters and friends like you to carry out our mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples. 
We have 10 full-time staff members. We have a radio ministry. We have online ministry, free resources, summer camps, student conferences, a missions agency, study tours to Israel and Greece and Turkey. And we do all of that by the support of friends like you financially. And right now, we've actually just purchased and we're renovating a retreat center on Lake Hartwell in South Carolina. If you would like to help us financially, just go to claytonking.com give. That's claytonking.com give. We would appreciate your help. Now back to the message. Paul had learned that every accomplishment, every accolade, everything that he would count as a success was a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. I can relate a little bit. I'm still learning. I'm still on this journey. I bear the scars. And they're mine. They're not yours. You've got your own stuff. You've had your own pain. You've had your own disappointment. And I've got mine. But usually when we talk about our scars, people lean in to listen. And I'm going to tell you how how God got me through the most difficult season of my life, and then I'll pray. My, uh, when my mom died, she left my father. Um, my mom had been caring for my father. She, were, she was his primary caregiver. And when she passed away, the burden fell on me and my brother to take care of my terminally ill dad. He was a diabetic, and he'd had multiple heart attacks and open heart surgery. He was on dialysis every other day. And progressively, my father became weaker and weaker and weaker. And I watched my dad dwindle down to almost nothing. For 18 months after my mom died, I cared for my father until eventually I had to put my dad in a nursing home. My dad did not want to go to one. I tried to make him, tried to get him to move up with us. He did not want to leave the house he had built. He thought he was going to get better. We prayed he would get better. And he didn't get better until God finally healed him. And he ultimately healed him by calling him home. But the way it went down, after 18 months of, well, panic attacks, 18 months of depression, 18 months of sleepless nights, 18 months of my dad calling me at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning because he had access to a phone in his assisted living facility and he, he had my number on speed dial. He would call me at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. He was having a panic attack and he would scream and yell and tell me he was dying and I would get up and get in the car and drive over an hour to the assisted living facility just to try to be with my dad and console him and comfort him. And then I got the phone call. After 18 months of caring for my dad, no family vacation, basically my whole entire life had been put on hold to care for my father. And that's not a complaint. That's, I'm not griping about that. I would have cared for my father as long as he would have lived by God's grace. It was a joy for me to care for him in his dying days. My family went to the beach. We went to go see my wife's grandparents. And I had just begun to relax. We were at uh, Ocean Isle Beach in North Carolina. We were fishing on a pier and we were about to go play putt-putt and it was the second day of our little family vacation and I was starting to finally feel like I was disconnected. I was gonna rest. I was, the stress was beginning to lift off my shoulders and my phone rang. When I answered the phone, it was my dad's cardiologist. He said, your dad's had another heart attack this morning during dialysis and he wants to talk to you. And he handed the phone to my dad. I assume he had to hold the phone for my dad because my dad could not hold the phone anymore because of the neuropathy in his hands. He couldn't even make a fist. He couldn't hold a cup of coffee. So my dad said, son, I'm, I'm dying. And I'm ready to go. I'm too weak. I miss your mom. I want to see Jesus. And I'm tired of suffering. So I've told the doctor, no more medicine. My dad was taking 19 pills a day to live. 
I've told the doctor no more dialysis. I don't want surgery. I'm ready to die. Will you come and will you stay with me until I die? I packed up my kids and my wife and we drove six hours to Greenville, South Carolina. And I walked in the room where my dad had some of his friends and cousins and some of his grandchildren were already there and my wife and my kids and I walked in and I walked over to my dad and I hugged him and I kissed him and my dad said, I love you, son. Stay with me till I die. I said, yes, sir. He said, good. Now I got something to take care of. There were probably 15 people when we got there. We probably made 20. And my dad could barely hold up his hand, but when he held up his hand, his, his, his hand was trembling and his, his fingers were shaking. And he said, I've got everybody in this room that I love and I want to tell you one thing before I die. You could have heard a pin drop in that room. Everybody was spellbound because a dying man has nothing to lose. And he said exactly what was on his mind. He said, I have been following Jesus since I was 10 years old. And I want to tell you, it's worth it. Some of you don't know Christ. And my last prayer before I die is that you will stop running from God and you will pray and receive Christ and repent of your sin. And everybody in that room began to weep. The way the story ended for me, I preached my dad's funeral on Father's Day. I actually closed the casket with my dad's dead body in it. And on Father's Day, my earthly father was in the presence of my heavenly father. And there's a lot more to that story because there's a lot more to that scar. But when I tell that story, that scar screams out, listen, and here's what I want you to listen. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, and he was proud of the scars. And even just one of the scars he carried, if you could imagine the thickness of the scar tissue on his back from receiving the whipping called the cat of nine tails five times, the scar tissue on his back was probably so thick from being flogged and beaten five times with a cat of nine tails, that it would have been painful for him to lay down on his back. It would have been difficult for him to even bend over and tie his shoes. But Paul says these marks tell a story and they have been worth it. Just like Jesus held out his hands and said to Thomas, see my scars, handle my flesh, I'm real. Your scars can testify to the world that Jesus is worth living for, that Jesus is worthy of worship, that we are living for something better than comfort and pleasure. We are living for an eternity in the presence of God who will wipe away every tear from our eye. This is the faith we hold on to, that those scars tell our story and there are are people in your life that need to hear your story but there are people here today your scars have not yet been redeemed because you haven't yet given them to Jesus and you need to give those scars to Jesus hey I got news for you listen if you live long enough in this world something's gonna hurt you you're gonna suffer it's coming and I don't care where you've come from or what your background is like, it is a part of living in a broken, fallen world. The thing about Jesus is, he gives you hope in those hard times, he gives you strength in your weakness. If you don't know Christ, honestly, it's gonna be really hard for you to find any kind of redemption in the scars that you carry. But once you hand those scars, that sin, those failures to Jesus, then you've got a God who's big enough, strong enough, and smart enough to do something good out of something really bad.
I really believe the Holy Spirit has taken this message and pinpointed some things in your life from your past where you've been hurt. And now you can see those scars not as something to be hidden or avoided, but something that can showcase the grace of God and His power in your life, regardless of your weakness, regardless of your brokenness. Use your scars to tell the story of how Jesus has healed you and made you new because everyone around you has scars of their own. It's the way we relate to each other and it's the way that you can relate the power of the gospel to the people in your life that you love and care for. I hope this has been an encouraging message for you in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to hear this message again, send it to a friend, or learn how to take a next step in your walk with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.